Spend time with the Voices of Watch Collecting. A blog to watch's team broaches the most important topics in timepiece enthusiasm today. This is the Spending Time Show. Hey everyone, Ariel Labs here uh, with the blog to watch. We are bringing back podcasting. I am joined by uh, a newer member of our editorial team, Sean. Sean, how you doing? Hi there, everybody. Uh, yes, I'm Sean Lorenzen. I'm the news editor here at a blog to watch. Uh, super excited to be part of this project and uh, talk to you a little bit more personally, a little bit more casually about the uh, world of watchmaking. Sean has agreed to speak to me for all of you. Isn't that nice of him? Um, <laughs> today, we're going to talk about the really important topic of how to buy watches online. Oh, yeah. No, it's a it's a minefield sometimes for a new collector. And, you know, I was there just a couple of years ago and to those who are stepping into the world of watch collecting for the first time, this can be a very intimidating hobby. And uh, hopefully today helps to take off some of that edge. Um, you said intimidating. Why don't you be a little bit more specific so people can know what was intimidating about it for you and what, or maybe what still is and what you think is intimidating about it for other people that maybe aren't as brave? Well, I think uh, the the most intimidating factor really is the knowledge base um, and the buying process. You know, for somebody who's just starting out, who sees a community, especially, I think most people nowadays are coming into watch collecting through Instagram, through social media, and seeing people who are obviously spending a ton of money on this hobby and have all of these like very detailed personal opinions and all of this intrinsic knowledge that uh, takes a while to build up. And so for somebody just stepping in, it can feel a little exclusionary. And then the buying process, obviously you have such an amazing uh, variety of ways to buy a watch online. It can be very confusing to somebody doing it for the first time to figure out which way is best for me. Oh, I, I call it the wild west. I actually have to inform the watch industry that likes to pretend they don't know that it's the Wild West. I'm like, okay, you're talking about this super organized industry making a super organized product um, with what you hope is an organized marketing process. And by the time they get to wanting to buy something, you hit them with like literally like a minefield out of World War One, where they're like, what the hell? I have to get to the other side and not get killed? Oh, yeah. No, it, it can be terrifying the first time around. And the second and the twelfth time. I, you know how I got started, I, maybe I was fortunate and you don't have this as much anymore, but actually no, I'd say you do. Um, I started being into watches around the same time I started getting into eBay. And eBay has just like tons and tons of stuff available for very cheap. So yeah, there's plenty of expensive watches on eBay, but there's also, you know, tons and tons of things on eBay that are just, not that expensive and you can buy. So I was buying all these watches that nobody was looking for back then, probably more expensive now. And I, I think it was for the first two years of collecting, it was very rare. I spent more than a hundred dollars on a watch and stuff just came in and I just experienced it that way. No, definitely. I, when I was first starting out and to a certain degree, a lot of my collecting is still done through eBay. Um, it's, it's a system that requires a little bit of bravery, I think, more so than than most uh, ways to buy, but there is a little bit of everything there. Whatever it is, you can probably find it. How do you get over the fear? Like, what's this? What's the like cure to the fear? How do you get brave? Uh, I think getting brave really has to come down to information. Um, you need to know know your seller, be confident in what they're selling, and uh, know the product that you're looking for. 
Well, you're making buying watches online or in general sound really scary. Uh, and it is, um, but it doesn't <laughs> have to be. Um, I, I think the first thing that, that I have learned over the course of several years of collecting is research, especially on eBay. Research the watch you're looking for and take a while to know what a good example looks like, what fakes look like. Uh, what, you know, what sellers are usually reputable and what aren't. I, I'd say there's probably a, a little bit of, uh, you can tell based on where they are usually how, uh, how reliable they are. What do you mean where they are? Like the location in the world? Uh, yeah, to a certain degree. Give me an example. Um, so I came into uh, the, the watch community, especially through uh, Vintage Seiko. That was my thing forever and still is. As I'm looking at Seiko uh, watches on eBay right now. Oh, absolutely. I don't blame you. It's it is a uh, it's a disease. Like once you get into it, you can't get out. Um, but buying Seikos from India and the Philippines can be a very dangerous proposition because there are a lot of what are known as Franken watches coming out of those uh, coming out of those locations where people will take. A project watch or a watch that really should only be a parts piece and then mash together parts that never came together from the factory or came well they didn't like the ones that came stock so they made their ideal version to some people that's even more valuable oh yeah and and that's not to say that there aren't very high quality versions of those sometimes you know sometimes you'll get a custom that's really cool but know what you're getting into okay that's true and i think that there's an interesting game that we all have to play which is, I wonder what that watch will look like in person based upon trying to see as many pictures of, of it as we can find online, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. And also, like you said, trying to check out condition and things like that. You know, you're talking about watches from the Philippines. Well, there's great taste in the Philippines, but they really wear their watches. So some of the things that you learn is where watches come from often dictate the condition that they're in, the types of, you know, uh, environment they're in. You know, like watches from tropical environments, people just try to universally avoid those unless they're those special Rolexes or Omegas from those particular years with the, the paint that, you know, yeah. But the watches otherwise were in terrible condition. I mean, like the gunk that would get in them and water and the movements would be in terrible condition. I mean, <laughs> you wouldn't want that stuff unless it was very carefully uh, taken care of. Oh, absolutely. And uh, and that is, as much as buying on eBay is a process of learning, buying vintage on eBay is even more so. Which I, I just try to avoid because it's too much of a pain, personally. <laughs> Uh, for me, it's a little bit of the thrill of the hunt. I really enjoy that feeling of like searching sometimes for months on end and finding that perfect example of that perfect uh, vintage timepiece. So we've demonstrated that there are good reasons to buy watches online, um, aside from just the fact that you're trying to get uh, you know a luxury product. It's it's not the shopping online for watches isn't just an alternative to buying watches in stores. It's uh, it's a completely different type of experience. It's more like a hobby. Like no one like goes and hangs out in watch stores as a hobby, but people like check out watch listings online as a hobby. Like like that is a particular sort of like channel of our hobby, right? There's people that like, they're like, yeah, that's mostly what I do. Oh yeah. So no, it's a huge part of being an enthusiast. So what we're trying to sort of get down to here in this conversation isn't just like go here and buy this stuff. In fact, 
we're going to mention as few places to buy watches online in this conversation because we don't want to appear biased. Um, this isn't a review of watch review sites. Um, I believe that, you know, or watch, watch retail sites. Watch retail sites, e-commerce, things like that are going to come and go all the time. We're going to talk about how to tr find good ones that are trusted, uh, how to understand the different types. Most people don't understand um, why you would buy a watch from one place versus another, and they end up not making a purchase because sometimes the difference in price is great. When you see a difference in price of, I don't know, $2,000 for the exact same product, any consumer would make the legitimate question of, okay, well, how do I make a decision here? Like, I want a good price, but is it too good to be true? Is it fake? Oftentimes, as we know, well, that's just, maybe that's, you know, that's a gray market thing, or maybe that's a pre-owned one, and that one's in good condition. That's just how much they lose value. So that's a great deal. So we want to sort of discuss some of the basics of how to shop for a watch online and why there appears to be so much discussion around it. And the reason there's so much discussion around it is there's a community. And in fact, that's a community which probably created a blog to watch and created a lot of people who are enthusiastic about watches who follow blog to watch. So we're trying to sort of tell everyone else um, how to do this process. And if you find yourself frustrated buying watches online, uh, hopefully we can help. Do you think we can do that, Sean? Absolutely. I think uh, between <laughs> the two of us, we might be able to cobble something together here. And you're also here to make sure I don't talk in very long spurts like that. <laughs> no worries. That was great information. Okay, so so let's let's start by sort of going over the various types of places where people can buy watches. And um, it's not actually eBay. We'll get to eBay later, but I'm just looking on eBay. It is directly from the brand. Did you know, Sean, that in a recent survey of the audience, more people said they would prefer to buy a watch online directly from the brand than anywhere else? Brands tell us that's not happening. But people said they would prefer that. What What do you make of that? I mean, I didn't know that statistic, but as a consumer, that makes perfect sense. I, it, I would be the most confident if I was buying a watch directly from the brand that made it. I know what I'm getting. It's not going to be a, you know, a poor quality or a damaged product. You've got all the protections of, you know, point to point sale and you know they're legit. Okay. So that that is you know that is that is legitimate. I'm actually going to go to to the Seiko uh, watches website right now. Oh yes. Let's see here. I guess this is the world one. So the USA website has e-commerce. The world one uh, does not. I actually didn't know that. I guess in the U they they tested in different places. So you know some of the brands have worldwide e-commerce. So someone talking about being able to buy a Seiko in North America might not have that same opportunity in another place. So maybe this is why brands are saying this isn't happening because they're still coming to terms with it themselves. Well, even brands that it, it does happen, they say things like that it represents maybe under 20% of their sales, even online. Hmm. So that says to me that brands are still developing... Um, their ability to sell direct. Maybe they're not getting enough traffic. Maybe people are going there and are determining that the price is too expensive. But for whatever reason, people want to buy from watch brands directly, but are not yet. So that's just interesting to know. Maybe in five years from now, if they um, make it a better experience or make a, better, a more attractive thing to do, we'll buy from there. Uh, but it comes back to your point of it being the Wild West. Like, on watch manufacturing in general, this business is a very conservative business. Um, and 
it takes a while for them to catch on to, to trends, I think, sometimes. Would you say that's correct? I think they hear about trends, but I think the industry is inherently inflexible. Mm. And they're used to producing a product in wholesale for a market. These are not companies that, for the most part, are used to any type of agility. They plan stuff out five or six years, and they assume in 10 years from now, people are still going to want watches, and they're still going to want the same types of watches, and we get to dictate what the market wants because we're like fashion brands now. Well, the reality is no. The market is really difficult to track, and the planning required to produce a watch is a lot. Oh, so yeah. one of the biggest innovations that they're trying to work on is what they call like rapid prototyping and, ra- and, and agile manufacturing. So they can prototype watches faster and then like make different ones faster like they've done in fashion. So maybe it'll happen. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how easily you can make a high quality watch. Oh, it's an excellent point is, you know, there's a lot that goes into a timepiece that doesn't necessarily go into a pair of shoes. The manufacturing process is so intricate. There's so much fine detail. I mean, especially I don't know how you could rapid prototype a movement. Yeah, movements are the hardest things. And to make a good movement, it takes years because there's so much years of like testing that you can't really do in software. It's got to be like real world testing. So I'm at Seiko's website. And look, Seiko says that they sell a fair amount of watches on their website. I think it even impresses them. Mm-hmm. But still, it's, it's not their bread and butter. And so this is the way that people would prefer to buy watches online, at least people that have bought a lot of watches, but that's not what's happening yet. So if you are a watch brand and you're listening to this, you might want to consider how you can better meet people's expectations. I think people are working on it right now, but I mean, part of it is the fact that like Amazon is such a polished platform to buy anything. And then you go to like brands websites and you know, it looks like they're several years behind. You're like, Oh, you don't already have my payment information. Oh, I can't use PayPal. What's wrong with that? Like shipping costs me money. I don't, I don't get it. So maybe, you know, there's, there's things they need to, to do. I mean, Seiko has a firm, so, you know, you can pay, you know, monthly and stuff like that. So again, they're, they're, they're adding things and they're, and they're making it better. But I think that there's still a way to go to make your experience better. So if you go to a watch brands website, and their e-commerce just uh, doesn't pass muster or it doesn't exist at all, you definitely have other options and you can go to, um, you know, uh, you, can, you can go to Google and search and you can go to eBay and things like that. But I think that the message is that most people are going to the brand first saying, okay, what can you do for me? And they're like, wait a minute, I got to check and see what else is going on. And then they make a decision to go elsewhere. Would you, would you say that's probably what happens or do you th- have a different view on it? Yeah, I I think that's probably a pretty fair assessment of what most people go through, especially their first time. The one thing that I would add to that equation, I mean, Mm -hmm. especially for a a newer or younger collector, is cost. Uh, You know exactly what you're getting when you're buying from a brand's website, but I don't know if it's always the best price. Well, yeah, and consumers care about price. I mean, look... um this show isn't going to talk about like, oh, how do we get the best price online? Um, the best price isn't always the the most wisest choice, and it's not really best for the industry, and a lot of that's going away. Um, I've seen, don't get me wrong, discounting is still going to be ar- around for a while, but I've seen a general trend to reduce discounting, and while it, yeah, it kind of stinks for people like me that sort of grew up in a watch industry where the discounts were, <laughs> they flowed like wine. Um, but that's not good for a long-term health of the industry, especially as overall volumes need to decrease and you can't hide unsold inventory in like 
you know, some third world country and, and assume that it'll be gobbled up there because everything just shows up online like right away. Yeah, exactly. There's no sort of regional market for anything anymore. And I think Seiko is a perfect example of this, where traditionally there have been a lot of uh, Japanese market models that were only ever sold in the home market. Right. That enthusiasts here in North America or in Australia or in Europe always wanted but can never get. And now with the convenience of the internet and being able to buy from so many different outlets, you still can't necessarily buy those things through Seiko's website if you're not in Japan, but there are ways to get them. Yeah, and it's it's so weird that they would somehow make these restrictions. Like, don't get me wrong, I understand just stocking them in Japan, like being like, okay, you can buy them from wherever you want to go, but um, they're only stocked from Japan, so we, we need to ship. And whatever that means, it means. Like, there's a customs issue, there's a tax issue, it takes a long time, ship... But like to say like this watch is not allowed to leave the country like that's just weird to me. Yeah, you're paying slightly more because of that or yeah, you've Yeah, but like you can isn't it enough just to be like it's going to stay in Japan and if you want to buy it, you just have to order it from Japan and whatever that costs it costs. I, it's artificial desirability, I think. But it's still it's still Japanese domestic market if it isn't officially taken out of the country from a distribution standpoint. That doesn't change it being JDM. Well, I think that sort of, it kills the forbidden fruit aspect of it a little bit. Because obviously, there's some really cool JDM models just on an objective level. You know, there's interesting stuff they're doing with movements, with dial treatments, so on and so forth. Is it? I, I don't I, I don't know. Sometimes I think they have these policies and they just have them. It was like, that's the way it was done. Or they misinterpret the intention of someone else. Like, I don't know that there's like really good reasons for a lot of this. I mean, I hear things in the watch industry that like... Are, um, are so dogmatic because no one's really thinking. Does that make sense? Like in marketing, they're like, marketing's all about consistency, which that means you have to have the exact same message about the brand everywhere in the world, which is the complete opposite of the reality, which is you need to have yeah, a unique message to the market. radically like, different. Right. Speak to the market, right? This is exactly. So, but the watch brands, for whatever reason, like got a memo that they misinterpreted years ago that said, it's all got to be consistent. Which in reality just means it's cheaper for them and they get to have one core message coming out of Switzerland that, did, that doesn't make sense outside of Switzerland. Yeah, they, they pay one advertising firm rather than 30. Anyway, so I guess the moral of the story is while people like you and I will want to purchase watches from watch brands directly, we might have not that many incentives to do so for the foreseeable future. Yeah. And hopefully that changes as time goes on. Um, but there are other options out there for buyers. And let's dive into a few of them. Okay, what about authorized dealers? Because it used to be, at least still today, you want to buy a watch from, going back to Seiko, uh, the place to do it was to go to a third-party authorized dealer like Blank Jewelers or Blah 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 Watches. And they might be a Seiko dealer. And you'd go in there and you'd buy your watch from them. So now those stores have the ability to do more or less that online. So you go to a Blank Jewelers' website and they'll have whatever brands they have and you're like, oh, Seiko, great. Let me get that watch that I wanted to get and they'll order it to me. So it's still through that third party. So going back to that survey, the second place people said they would most prefer to buy the watch is from an authorized dealer online, which again is kind of funny because that happens um, still quite rarely right now. 
Yeah, there's points on both sides of that, I think. On the one hand, you are sort of introducing a middleman, so you'd think from a value perspective you might be taking a hit, and whether or not that's true, it's just a mental thing. The other thing, though, is it simplifies logistics. You know, a lot of people build personal relationships with their jeweler or with their dealer, and, you know, they just, it feels safe, it feels comfortable. There is that building of friendship, or in the case of some brands, building toward a purchase that you can't do the first time. Uh, you're just basically saying that you know if your watch is broken or has a problem, brand ain't going to care, and the person you know at the store is more likely to be like, hmm, if I want more business, I better take care of this. Absolutely, yeah. Or, you know, on top of that, building that relationship with a retailer so you can get a more desirable model if you're collecting a certain brand. What do you, wait, what do you mean exactly? Uh, well, uh, the steel Rolex sports models, for example, it's very difficult nowadays to get a, uh, a steel Submariner direct from the dealer the first time you're buying a Rolly. Okay, okay, okay. But it, here's, a, here's a question, and I know this is, this is contrary to common perception, but who cares? Why, if you, if you can't buy the watch, buy something else. Who cares? That's a fair point. I mean, there are plenty of other great models out there. Like, why do you want to buy something that doesn't want you to buy it? Because everybody else has it or everybody else wants it. It's a, it's a strange situation. Yeah. Okay. And, and and that part, I understand it does seem to be a popular item, but getting a popular item means what? Like, what is the actual outcome people are, are seeking? Status, I think, is the the biggest takeaway from that. Okay, status as? As an owner of this particular timepiece, which everybody else wants. And the the message to other people is? Again, I'm being pedantic about this for a reason, because I'm trying to prove a point. Oh, yeah. No, I think the the message at that point that you're sending is, I am successful, I am good enough to have owned this, and you haven't yet. Okay. So... So the way you characterize it is mostly about that guy's trying to make me jealous. In some ways, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. And and do we like people who go out of their way to make us jealous? Like, do we say, I want to hang out with them? Or do we just criticize them from afar and be envious? Yeah, no, you're right. It's, uh, it's not very friendly. It's not a great way to make friends, no. Not very friendly. So uh, all I'm saying is that's a quick road to looking like someone who is unfriendly. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but I usually like to promote friendliness because I'm already weird as it is. <laughs> yeah, I need all the friends I can get. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> so so those watches, if you have a hard to get undesired or you know, high desire, hard to get watch, you're not going to make a lot of friends. Unless you're around yeah. people that have no idea what it is. Collect weird stuff. This is the, the takeaway Collect from weird stuff. episode. I didn't know that that's where I was going, but I was just trying to say that if you experience a situation where you can't buy a watch that you otherwise want, you'll be able to get it at some point in your life, and there's probably other stuff you also want. And if you, ha- oh, yeah. if you don't have anything on your mind, you, you're just not looking hard enough. Oh, yeah. Or, you know, I, I used to have a, uh, a catchphrase that I picked up from one of my previous employers, which was, dare to be different. Isn't that a isn't that like a slogan from one of these watch brands? I'm pretty sure it is. It might have been. I picked it up when I was working at Hot Rod Magazine. It's got to be. What's Tudor's one again? It's Dare to something. Oh yeah, I gosh, off the top of my head, it's Dare to keep kids off drugs or something. Yeah, what was it? Dare to employ a bunch of celebrity influencers. 
Um, I don't think that they should be allowed to use the word daring. I don't think any watch brand. I think if you're a company who is so undaring as to make traditional mechanical watches, you shouldn't even allowed to be used the word daring in your materials unless it's, look how daring I am. I'm making something that's only pretty and no one actually needs. I, I don't know. I think there are some brands that are still pushing like the edge of engineering possibility uh, with mechanical watches, but it's generally not like mass market stuff. But they're so into talking about their technology, they wouldn't throw a word like daring in there, so they don't even apply. That, fair enough. They, they don't throw around marketing buzzwords because they don't really need them. See, it's a good rule. Yeah. Okay, so we've, had, we've talked online about um, buying directly from the brands, which people want but don't do very much, buying directly from authorized dealers. Now, authorized dealers are about to flood the internet, in my opinion. This is a guess. Well, not a guess. It's more like an. Uh, it's it's. I know it's coming. I just don't know how fast it's coming. Um, authorized dealers now have a limitation where brands say to them, "You're only allowed to sell in this specific territory." And usually, that territory has not traditionally included the internet. So, in order to keep retailers secluded in their territories, so as not to flood the market, they prevented them from selling online. Now that's all changing because it's super unfair. Because the retailers have said, let me get this straight. You're allowing the internet to compete with us, but we're not allowed to compete with the internet. And it took, I don't know, 10 years for that argument to eventually sink in. So brands are like, wait a minute. We value these people and we're letting an internet destroy their businesses while they're buying stuff directly from us at wholesale prices. And we're saying, yeah, you can't sell online. You're not allowed to discount. Which I just sort of encapsulated why uh, watch retailers and brands are fighting so much these days, but it's because um, of of essentially that situation. It's a tough position to be in for uh, for a retailer, and I think yeah, it's fantastic that they're finally putting their foot down and uh, getting some leverage. Yeah. So the the result of that is that more. Um, more retailers now, traditional in-store retailers, have the opportunity to do exactly what they do online, and many of them do that. Not all of them have taken the opportunity to do that because building an e-commerce business um, is a challenge. For most of them, it's not just a matter of stocking the watches because they already have the watches, but it's building a website, there's shipping involved, there's customer service, there's advertising, there's marketing. What most retailers have found is that it's not at all just a matter of having a website, uh, which is a website version of your store without marketing and, and other initiatives, which I find very interesting and it's also predictable. I mean, retailers that want to reach um, audiences have to advertise and they haven't for years done even in their own cities. You see that advertising has basically been promoted by watch brands. They give them what's known as co-op money and that co-op money goes to buying like local billboards and, and a few other limited um in-person forms of advertising. Oh, Retailers okay. do those because the brands share in what they cost. So it, it, there's different formulas for it, but essentially the retailer is supposed to pay half usually and the brand's supposed to pay half. So the brands are like, okay, we'll allow you to spend that money on a billboard off the side of a street, but online, no, we, you can't do that. Those rules are starting to change a little bit and there's still some co-op money there, but that's why there was any in-city advertising because the retailers um, stopped advertising once the internet was just like taking all their sales. So they're like, so let me get this straight. You want to put up an ad, which is probably just going to feed an internet seller anyways? And the brands were like, yeah. <laughs> and, the, and so they're like, no, we're not going to do this anymore. 
So that's another reason why the retailers have been disincentivized from marketing. But anyways, as they push their websites online, they are not in a good position to be competitive because they don't know how to market and they also can't discount. So they're like, uh-oh, what do we do now? Because still to this day, and while this is going away, there's still so much discounting online. So right now, there are precious few retailers that have inst- like you know like brick and mortar businesses that are really big competitors online but that's going to change because you have more and more money coming in and more and more money coming in means people are going to figure out that you have to advertise yeah and more and more advertising and promotional budget beyond it, one of the interesting things that I'm seeing especially very successful retailers doing is differentiating themselves from what you can get anywhere else. Uh, more retailer special edition specific uh, versions of timepieces that are exclusive to that dealer. Well, that's all they got. They, they do. That's a very good point. And they do that as sort of a compromise with the brands. The brands are like, yeah, we're not going to stop feeding the gray market, but we'll give you a different dial color that only you have. How does that sound? It's kind of like a Band-Aid. It's a fun Band-Aid, but I think it results in sometimes too many watches being made again, which is part of the problem. Yeah, and it can be a difficult, again, a difficult market for a beginning collector that suddenly goes, wait a second, where can I get the one with the red dial? And then realizing that, you know, only 500 of those were made and they've been gone for two years. And all they need to do is say, wow, I just learned I liked red. Let me find a different watch in red that is available. Exactly. (laughs) There you go. Problem solved, everyone. (laughs) <laughs> when you like a color, get something in that color. Solid buying advice from Ariel yes. Adams. You, you heard it here. You heard it here. So um, in a couple of years from now, when you go onto Google and you search for a watch model, there's a good chance that there'll be a store, which is a traditional store that has you know a brick and mortar presence as well. It's probably going to be from the bigger stores that have multiple locations because that means they have more sophisticated buying power to do the marketing online. And you're going to start to see that very soon with the big groups. The problem is is that there's very little room for competition because Google has, what, 10 10 spaces on the first page? And I don't think consumers are going to be like, here's 10 places to buy this. Maybe I'll see another 10 more. Like, no, they're not going to do that. Nobody ever goes to the second page of Google for anything. Well, especially if it's, I want to buy a product, you just assume that Google's like, this is the best option and the best price. Like, you're not going to, like, search to page 33 for the best price. Not unless you're a serious obsessive. I've done some serious, like, we're looking through here. We're probably on page 33 of uh, of Seiko. On oh, I'm just eBay. doing this, like, almost neurotically at this point. I'm like, where else do oh, I yeah. look? But, I mean, that's part of being Seiko's a the safe brand to look. No one's like, stop oh, looking yeah. at Seiko. People are like, okay, keep going. <laughs> yeah, there's enough variety and you know, there's something that everybody's going to like there. Chances are. And, and of course, now that I've said that, somebody's going to come out and say, I hate Seiko. But, you know, if you hate Seiko, more power to you. That's okay. Yeah, Seiko's that's got enough your fans. opinion. Yeah. Not a problem. I don't like Seiko because I want to like Seiko. I, 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 every brand I like, I like despite my best effort. I don't want to like any brand. But when a brand consistently <laughs> yeah. does good stuff, I'm like, I, I do kind of have a thing for a lot of the stuff you make. Like, I do not like everything Seiko makes. Seiko, like many brands, oh, yeah. has made legions of terrible watches. But they've made enough really good ones that you're like, okay, keep them coming. Absolutely. And with Seiko specifically, with a brand that size, with a variety that they're making not everything is going to be a triple a hit i mean my my you know my favorite story about um uh seiko is how they accidentally made dot matrix printing 
No. It, oh, through Epson? I didn't yeah. know it was an accident. <laughs> I've never they're heard like, this. It was a total accident. Yeah, yeah. So they're like, uh-oh, we need to invent something that allows us to print out a recording of our timing machines. Right? So they had, you know, obviously Seiko makes timing machines. And mm-hmm. I think it was for the I don't know, Tokyo Olympics or something like that in the 60s. Oh, yeah. And they're like, okay, we timed something, but we need proof that it was like 8.2 seconds or even, you know, smaller decimal than that. But we need, we need proof. So like, oh, we should put that on a piece of paper. So they invented a machine <laughs> to quickly print out the numbers from a, from a time recording for the Olympics. And they're like, oh, wait a minute. People might want to buy these for other purposes. And just completely created an industry that they then went on to dominate anyway. Um, yeah, that's why it's called Seiko Epson. Which brings up an interesting point. Maybe we should talk to talk about this for a bit uh, for newer collectors that don't know. Uh, Seiko is uh, what's known in Japan as a zaibatsu. Uh, they're not just one thing. Not just one thing? Are you talking about the word? Are you talking about the brand? Um, so Seiko as a corporation. Um, as a corporation. What you're okay. saying is, a, is, yeah, is a zaibatsu, which basically translates into holding company or conglomerate. That's their. Uh, that's so Japan. That's have, like the favorite thing of Japan. They love those. Oh yeah, they love it. And Seiko is one of the largest and most successful. So obviously, Seiko Time Corporation. We're all familiar with the people that make Seiko watches and clocks. But there's also Seiko Epson, uh, which makes printers and and other computing devices. There's uh, I think there's a Seiko Advanced Technologies division. Okay. And then there is also another, uh, a completely separate subsidiary that owns Orient. Yes. That has zero crossover with Seiko watches, but also technically owned by the same board of directors is. Uh, and is boy, is it watch. separate. They really make that clear. <laughs> oh, yeah, there we is. We both do everything in house completely independently. Separate houses, everyone. Separate houses. Which is, from a technical standpoint, just incredible. No, it's just that Seiko bought it a while ago and they had their own stuff. And they're like, okay, well, we could always use excess manufacturing cap- capacity because who doesn't like excess manufacturing capacity? Oh, yeah, especially when you're selling at the volume that Seiko and Orient do. I mean, look, Orient is a cool brand, but Seiko's never known what to do with it because the value's always been really high. Like they always, they kind of, they've kind of always played Seiko's low end game better than Seiko. Like Seiko definitely makes oh, yeah. a better high end product, but but Orient doesn't even try to go in that direction. Orient's known as a brand who they are more than pretty much any other brand I can say. Yeah, but Orient knows what Orient is about and yeah. sticks to their lane far more than Seiko, which does everything from you know seventy dollar entry-level mechanical all the way up through, you know, six-figure Creedor. My favorite thing in the world, honestly, is to wear like a fancy Grand Seiko in Japan. You feel like a million bucks swinging it there because it, it, it really is like like a Japanese Rolex and there's no oh, other place. is that place. the one place they get attention? It's not that they get attention. They just, I don't know what it is. It's like in Tokyo, especially with the with the architecture and the mood, it just fits in so damn well. Because everything there is about like precision, and it's like the most precise thing you can get. Because it's just it looks so precise, it performs so precise. It's just like this total embodification of like everything that that culture like really values in a timepiece made there. Oh yeah, but yeah, it would it, somehow it would feel wrong to have you know something Swiss in that location? I feel the same way. Being a car guy, like a Toyota Crown limo does not work in the United States, or a, not a Crown, but a Century. 
<laughs> well, uh, they're not, the they've never even tried. No, but no, they never sold them here because it's a completely different concept of luxury. Like I think those things I, would sell like hotcakes, to be honest. Oh yeah, now that now that the twenty five year import rule is gone, uh, or you know that is passed for some of those, people are importing centuries, and there's a pretty serious market uh, among. Oh, is there a new JDM rule now that you're allowed to do that? Well, it, it's been. It's been part of uh, U.S. auto importing for a long time that if something was not made for the United States market, you have to wait 25 years from the date of manufacture in order to import it legally. That's ridiculous. Yeah. So just now, all the really cool uh, Japanese stuff from the 90s that everybody drilled over in Gran Turismo is becoming legal (laughs) in the United States. Okay, here's the thing. If you go to the trouble and expense of importing a like wrong side of the road driving car, just you're literally motivated enough to do what's right, drive it correctly, like you know what you're doing. Like let those people do it. Oh yeah, I, it's it exists solely for uh, for regulation and for uh, there's emissions involved. By the way, I just found a, I just found a a dealer here on Chrono Twenty Four called Watch Avocado. I don't know if that's watch that's avocado. To be. Are they based here yeah. in California? I, I'm uh, no. Apparently, they are in uh, Des Moines. I'm not trying to inadvertently like um, promote one specific dealer. I just I just thought it was yeah. funny to see. Let's this just is, randomly see not, watch avocado. Yeah, it, trust us, guys. This is not a sponsored uh, watch avocado. Is watch paid avocado. No money. Seiko yeah. is paid no money. <laughs> Yeah, we promise this um, isn't a secret watch avocado ad. Okay, so in a couple of years from now, there's going to be a lot more commercial traction on authorized dealer websites. Today, not so much, but expect to see more and more of that. And the good ones will fight for your attention. They'll have good customer service. You'll be able to return things. They'll make it great. It's still sort of in its infancy right now, mostly because the watch brands themselves haven't really decided how they want to support it or not support it. I mean... As a retailer, this is your fear. You invest in a brand, and when you invest in a brand, you know you need to market it to your audience. A a good retailer understands that your customer needs to be told why to buy what you have. But that's only if you have a supportive partner. If the people who make the things that you have don't let you market it properly, then it's literally up to them to create demand. So that's what happens in the watch industry. The watch brands don't let stores promote the products in the way that the stores want to do, which is unique and to their audience. But the brands themselves won't do it either. Yeah. So there's this void that needs to be filled and nobody has yet. Right. And it's going to happen because there's going to be too much money and pressure to, to, to do it because the watch brands are literally holding back commerce. And for no good reason. None of them can be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if we allow you to make a great story and share it with your audience and sell a bunch of watches, blank will happen to us. Like, there's no good argument. So eventually that dam is going to break and they're going to realize we were being stubborn for no reason. Yeah, it'll be an exciting time in the next few years uh, for for that. Uh, But there are, I think, a few other solid ways to buy watches online that we haven't quite touched on yet. Yeah, we haven't even discussed how how like people like us buy watches. We're we're just sort of trying to go down the list here. We'll go a little faster now. Okay, now comes uh, the gray market. And we're going to talk about this really quick because the gray market is something we're not supposed to officially like. It's kind of like in any place, and it's not really in America. You don't have this too much, but you have places where have like high taxes on things, and you have like black markets for things 
where like it's just so much cheaper no one cares and people are like well nobody nobody cares um the gray market means that you're not buying something illegally but you're buying it of course outside of an authorized dealer status which means it probably isn't um it doesn't have associated rules of pricing. You won't get a warranty and things like that. But it's it's a new product. It's a genuine product. Um, it's just sold outside of the authorized dealer um, line, and therefore the brands can't control the pricing. So the retailer is only limited by how much it costs them to acquire the product in the first place. Uh, many people argue successfully that this is the you know most effective free market system for selling watches because how else are you going to get rid of unsold inventory other than destroy it? Um, I've had people say to me very convincingly, every watch will sell at the right price. I've had very smart people that know very well basically said this to me. It's not a matter of whether or not you can sell a watch. It's just a matter of what price does it need to be lowered to to sell to somebody. And um, I guess there's a certain threshold where there's too many watches. This doesn't, this doesn't, you know, it doesn't work because there's just too much supply. But for the most part, I agree. But... There's too many watches at too many discounts that people like you and me have basically been trained to never pay retail ever. And that's not a really good idea for the health of an industry in the long run. Oh, yeah. Or for the health of your collection, to be honest, because obviously gray market is is a safe buying method for most things. But again, you're trading out a factory warranty. You're trading out a lot of uh, protections that you would otherwise get purchasing a new watch for that lower retail price. Not just that, but having the gray market is a major factor in retail uh, prices, um, I'm sorry, in in resale prices being lower. So if you didn't have the gray market price, the watch you just bought at retail price, you could sell a year later for a higher return because there wasn't a gray market to compete with. So the resale market has been negatively affected by the gray market in ways that people don't really talk about. Oh, yeah, because you're never going to buy a used piece for more than you could buy a new one on the gray market for. Exactly. So that has had the biggest, what I would call negative impact on the resale price of used watches online because the price of new watches is so comparatively low. Makes perfect sense. So other than the gray market, we also have peer-to-peer buying. So, you know, using the internet to go directly to somebody else uh, who has the watch you want and buying it directly from them? Well, let, let's let's just quickly wrap up on, on gray market because I think it's we have to end on sort of a, an advisory topic. Oh sure. My official position probably needs to be don't buy in the gray market. I actually say that I am thinking about it right now. I don't think I've ever bought on the gray market myself um, because I have known. I, I just it's 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 not hard for me to support, but I'm in the industry now. And it's a very sort of hypocritical thing. It'd basically be like, you know, being in the music industry, but like downloading a music for free online. It's just like, I work in this industry. I'm supposed to be supported by that. So I, I, I mean, I bought a lot of watches, but I can't actually remember any instances where I just knowingly bought a gray market watch. I just, it may have happened. I just, I don't recall. Uh, but then again, I'm a special person. So I, I'll deal directly with a brand. You know, I get, I get deals here and there, but it's a different way. So I, me saying that, again, it, it might be a little unrealistic. Um, with that said... I think that the gray market is still a very compelling option for a lot of people because of the price. And I want to and I want to reassert the notion that you're not buying fake watches. I'm sure there's some instances out there, but that's not a concern. So brands try to say like you're only buying authentic watches here. No, no, that's that's not true. That's a lie. If they're saying that, that you know everything's fake, 
And unfortunately, I still don't know how much a warranty is worth. I don't hear a lot of people say to me, you know, Ariel, that warranty from the watch brand was so great. They took back the watch. They fixed it up. It was pretty fast. I'm super happy. It didn't cost me a thing. All I hear is the complete opposite. It took forever. It cost a lot of money. They didn't need to do this. It came back in worse condition. And don't get me wrong. Watches are complicated. I understand that repairing them is not an easy task. But if you are promoting a warranty as being a reason to spend full retail price, I'm sorry, watch brands, you haven't made enough people happy. So while the gray market is, gonna, is, is a bad thing, it's bad for the industry, and it's going to slowly keep going away as they get less and less watches, I cannot use fear as a technique to tell consumers don't shop there because those techniques, in my opinion, are not accurate and don't work. So there's plenty of other good options. I would say that rather than buying gray market, I would just buy a good condition used watch. I feel much better about that. And that's what I've done more often than, than go to the gray market if I, if I haven't bought directly uh, from a, an authorized dealer or from a brand directly. So for me, that's the alternative is just buy a good condition used watch. Well, and that ties in. Uh, one of the big differences, I think, between you and I in terms of uh, our collecting habits, like I can really only buy good condition use because I'm a, I'm a vintage geek. Like, I think I have maybe two new watches that I've purchased. Well, there's a solution for your problem. What's that? Uh, wear watches that, you know, are from today. <laughs> I could do that, yeah, but then yeah. I, I don't know. There's sizing, there's style that even if you're sizing. trying to Oh yeah, what I mean, size do you want to get that you can't get today? Oh, if you're looking at like really cool vintage stuff like 34 millimeters and you know, you can buy some, plenty of 34 millimeter watches right now. Just go go on eBay, type in new watch 34 millimeters, you'll find all kinds of divers and stuff like that. And oh, by the yeah, way, what sure, are you doing with 34 mil? Like, how often are you going to get excited about that? What is it like a phase you go through and you're like, okay, this is too small. Yeah, but you know, sometimes it's fun to have those phases and and beyond that too, like there's something specific. I've never I take that back. I've seen one or two reissue timepieces that managed to actually capture the style of an original watch rather than make it a compromise. Well, the problem is materials. They never use the same materials. That's oh, the yeah. problem. But I I love that feel of old material. I love the feel of a little bit of patina, and that's where you and I differ, I think. You're just a patina freak. Yeah, you're not wrong. That's that's what that's the term that I'm using now, patina freak. For Go guys, right for ahead. Like, yeah. I, I will wear that with pride. <clears throat> it's like look, it's like um, I'm that way, but other things. Like, what's cooler, wearing like a like a brand new crisp leather jacket or one that's been like worn in? Like the worn in one, like beats the new one every single time. Exactly. It's a pair I get of blue it. jeans. Same deal. Uh, um. But maybe it goes back to the the similar appreciation I have uh, for with, for Japanese watches. I have Japanese taste in watches. Apparently, is the perfection, the precision, and the aging process by including all those defects and imperfections and things like that ruins this false sense of there is a perfect world because we do not live in a perfect world where everything makes sense like that. Like we have all kinds of weird things in our world and 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 our lives can never really be perfect, right? But in a watch, they can be. So I subscribe to the notion that a watch represents my interest in this aspiration of perfection. That's clearly not for everyone, but apparently oh, me yeah, and enough other Japanese people have that have that idea and why we want to watch. That's like a really fascinating... I, didn't, I wasn't expecting uh, a conversation about buying watches online to get spiritual, 
But Ooh, uh, yeah, spiritual? that's a really interesting sort of spiritual philosophical point is uh, it's sort of this escape from the imperfections of reality into something that is very controlled and very precise. Yeah. We love stuff like that. That's, we, I mean, we all it's like pick your poison when it comes to that. Watches just happen to be like a really kind of, uh, I don't know, a, a really effective, uh, you know, escape for that. Oh, yeah, um, I agree. Okay, so... We've talked about gray market. Let's talk about peer-to-peer. Okay. This is, you know, you're talking about the forums and things like that. I mean, look, this is an underdeveloped area. Um, it will be developed more in the future. Um, hopefully, I'll have some part in that. But the idea is that if you go on a forum that, like Sean mentioned, and there's a few of these out there still. There used to be a lot more, and it used to be, well, it's scary because you're basically buying um, an unknown watch from an unknown person with a pretty unsafe transaction. Best case scenario, you get the best deal out there. Best case scenario. Worst case scenario, you've lost your watch or you've lost your money forever. Yeah, it's sort of the definition of sight unseen. Uh, I'm not going to say it's the majority of it at all. You know, I, I think most transactions on uh, on forums or, or peer-to-peer transactions, most people are trustworthy. Most watch deals are good. But it happens quite a bit, and it's something that you do really need to educate yourself on what a bad deal looks like before you go spending a ton of money uh, in in a peer-to-peer transaction. So this website, Watch Recon, and again, it's no business relation to Watch Recon, just happens to be a popular aggregator of watches that are in different places but also on forums. It's really heavily based upon watches are listed on forums. And it's very convenient because to go on each of these individual forums and see what's available is a pain in the ass. Um, I don't think that this website offers uh, special assurances to make sure that you're safe and things like that. I think it's just as buyer beware as anything else. But it's a good aggregator. And it's true what I said before. And Sean, tell me if you agree or disagree. That if you want the absolute best price on a watch, it's going to be from someone who's an owner. A middleman, a retailer, no matter who they are, they need to take a cut. It's just part of their business. An individual person who owns a watch is always going to give you the best price. That isn't to say that every single watch that's listed here is the best watch. But if you look, if you look and you do your homework and you haggle a little bit, this is where you'll get the best price. Okay, do you agree, disagree? Oh, I completely 100% agree. And for me, this is a huge part of why I enjoy collecting is finding that perfect deal and and learning enough about a timepiece to go, okay, this is the seller. This is the watch. I've seen 35 of these go by and I haven't pulled the trigger, but now's the time. It's that thrill of the hunt. Okay, I want each of us to give, I don't know, a couple of like insider tips and hints on how to evaluate these types of posts, like things to look out for, blah, blah, blah. You go first, uh, you know, three to five tips to help people understand like how to make sense of all this. Oh, sure thing. Uh, So the first thing you want to look for uh, with a watch seller is any kind of reputation rating. A lot of forums will have, you know, upvote, downvote, or, you know, look at their post history, look at how many things they've sold before. You know, other users will have feedback on these people. If there's somebody who's a scammer, somebody will have been scammed before, unless it's their first time selling something, in which case, you know, watch out for first time sellers. Beyond that, uh, 
read descriptions thoroughly. Make sure they're talking about every aspect of the watch in their description. But also, if things are too verbose, they might be trying to hide something. But make sure, you know, are they saying that the movement is in good condition? Is it running well? What sort of accuracy are you actually getting? Are all parts involved? Do you have a factory bracelet? Do you have, you know, so on and so forth? What's the cosmetic condition that may not show up in photos? Uh, the other thing that translates directly into is photo quality. You want something with good photos that show all of the watch. You don't want to suddenly go, hey, they're not showing the, you know, the left side of the case. Why is that? And then you get the watch and it's this huge gouge down the side of the case that they just photographed around. But by the same token, if something is too produced, you know, if you have like somebody took this thing to a professional studio, uh, it, you've either got a professional seller who's dealing with a lot of volume or somebody who's probably trying to cover up something else somewhere else. So it all comes down to balance. You know, it, it, you trust your gut. That was a solid attempt. I, that was a, that was a lot of good a lot of good opinions. Um, I have a little. I, I actually have some contradictory uh, opinions in there, but I think for the most part, um, uh, my feedback will will sort of mesh well with yours. Okay, so first of all, I want to talk about condition. You brought this up a lot, and you said some really important things there. I disagree that really great pictures <clears throat> mean that um, they're trying to like hide something. And I disagree that not seeing the side of a case once in a while means they're hiding something. But I do agree that people try to hide things a lot. So when you, when you, need, when you look at a, at a listing, there's two important things. Visually inspect everything very carefully. People will not always say there's a scratch when there's like a picture of a scratch. They'll be like, you didn't look very carefully. You didn't see that like right there on the log. It's anyone can see it. So don't rely on the description for everything, but also, you know, don't rely on the pictures to tell you everything. So read both of those things. Different types of people, because they're individuals, have different types of photography skills. Some people just have their phone and they're like horrible blurry image to them. Like, that's great. That's the best one I've taken all day. Right? It's hard to compete with someone else that knows what they're doing. So um, I would not necessarily say that someone's trying to hide something. But it's true that oftentimes if they're all blurry, you just want to stay away. right? Because like, like, what kind of person is it? What kind of taste do they have? You're basically buying not only the watch, but the person who just owned it. And you have to see um, you know, how they speak. If they speak um, little English, chances are that their, their posts aren't going to be very detailed. Always ask questions if you feel you want to know something. If you're like, hey, are there any significant scratches? Well, what does significant mean? What's significant to you might not be significant to them. So say, are there any visible scratches? So try to be pretty specific in your questions and ask questions a lot. So I would say that it's very important to visually inspect, um, but, but also have some allowance for people that just don't have amazing communication skills or for or photography skills. Because sometimes if there's no scratch on the side, they're like, well, why would I have a picture of the side of a case if there's nothing there? Not everyone assumes that um, that everyone wants to see everything. So I'm just saying there's some, there's some cultural differences there. Don't let somebody dictate the price. If you see a price that you think is like ridiculous, um, two things are going on. One of them is they're just trying to be like ambitious and they're like, oh, maybe someone will go for that price because they'll be stupid. Yeah, that happens too often, unfortunately. But also, someone has a price where they're like, you know what? 
I don't really want to sell it, but if someone was willing to pay this, I'd let go of it. You probably don't want to do business with that individual because they have an emotional attachment to the watch. It means they still essentially want it. And that's not what watches you want to buy. So you want to buy what I call used unwanted watches. And that's most of them. But once in a while, someone's still so attached to it that they have like a price that they're thinking of to get rid of it. And you don't want to do business with that person because chances are that's not the only watch around and chances are someone else just wants it less. So never take the price as seriously as the seller takes it and don't be afraid to, to ask for a different price if you think that a different price is better. But sometimes the prices you see are great. Um, when it comes to safety... All I'm going to say is pff, watch out. As Sean said, if there's ratings um, or an ability to ask the community whether or not they're trustworthy, by all means do that. In my experience, uh, a lot of this time there isn't or nothing that's particularly persuasive. Um, I I was screwed one time years ago. Fortunately, it wasn't a very big purchase, but the, it looked very secure. The person had made transactions before. Um, I ended up being able to get them banned, but you know, it, it was a bad experience that taught me, like, better watch out about stuff like this. Um, so I still think there's a lot of innovation that can be done in the world of peer-to-peer. -peer, uh, but if you want the best possible price, that's the place to go right now. Um, but you do got to be careful. And this is definitely like what I call like advanced stuff. Like this is not for beginners. If you're a beginner just getting to watches, I, I'd say you know, wait a few years and then and then start to like peruse the forums because until then it's just it's just too easy to get yourself in trouble unless money doesn't matter to you. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the one thing that I might add to that is uh, don't be trigger happy. Um, it's so easy sometimes, like you were saying, you really can't find the best price anywhere peer to peer sometimes. And you'll see this number and it will be so attractive to you because it is that watch that you've been searching for and it is the one that you want and it's a number that you can't say no to. A lot of times when something looks too good to be true, it is. So, you know, even if it is that one at the right price, at the right condition, take your time and make sure. Don't get ahead of yourself. I think that's really good advice, especially given the fact that there's like, what, new watches that are posted on a daily basis? Absolutely. If you, see, if you see a watch that you want, it's the wrong condition, the wrong price, whatever it is, just don't buy it. Just yeah, another one it. will come along. Even as yeah, rare as I mean, some things might be, uh, you know, another one will come along. But w with that said, I, I got to say, and I don't know about you, but there's definitely been some situations where like, I should have got something. Oh yeah, and you know I've, what? At the end of the day, I'm, I'm not losing out. Yeah, it, it, it's it's not a life or death thing, death thing. And I probably had just as many like good buys, but it sometimes feels like you should get it right away. But don't unless you're sure, because I believe that effective watch purchases, like the ones that create satisfaction, are what lead to other watch purchases. If you allow yourself to be disappointed in a watch or transaction, chances are you're not going to buy very many watches. Oh yeah, definitely. Okay, so let's um, let's quickly talk about um, some other things. By the way, in addition uh, to Watch Recon, there's also StockX, which is a form of an aggregator as well, which tries to do a job of telling you like some true market prices. It depends on how much data they have. But that's also um, uh, an, an effective uh, platform. Let's talk about auctions, okay, which includes eBay. Um, people don't always understand that eBay is not a 
auction website. eBay is a host uh, of auctions. So each individual listing is its own auction um, with its own terms and its own things like that. And it, it shields them from some liability and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, um, eBay is a different type of auction especially because there's a lot more transparency and fairness um, in the way that bidding happens. So they, st they step it up rather than just you know shoot to super high prices and things like that. So for me, eBay is the only type of watch auction that I like to shop on. So I am someone that buys watches at auction because I buy watches on eBay and in, other, in some other places as well, of course. But other auction houses who have taken their live... Uh, in-person auctions and things like that and tried to move them online. It does exist. I don't like that because I think that, while I'm sure there's always room for innovation, eBay represents the best of online auctions. And the other ones suffer from a few problems, namely being very expensive. They have what's, what's known as a buyer's and sometimes seller premium, which means they, they, they take a cut on both ends. It's quite expensive. Um auctions are for and I and I say this in sort of a uh, sort of a funny charming way but for board rich, board rich people who are there for the entertainment uh, the excitement of bidding against people winning like you said thrill thrill of the hunt yeah it's a competitive aspect I mean especially at the top end when you're talking about you know extreme value pieces this may not be info to the to the new collector that really needs it but you know if you're buying a true one of one, say the the Paul Newman Daytona that sold last year at auction. You're proving that you're the guy that can afford that and nobody else can. You're willing to pay more than everybody else. And so it is very much like... That watch is not worth that money. In other no, words. it's a rich man's game of saying, I have more money than you. Not all auctions, especially on eBay, are like that because of the volume. No, the vast majority are not. That's not what eBay auctions no, are. not at all. And I think that's what makes eBay a much better watch collectors auction platform than most and and just by the sheer volume of listings that happen on ebay there are a lot of auctions that fall through the cracks and everybody has their own terms but it's another great place to find sometimes like a peer-to-peer -peer, that right watch at the right price that nobody else has seen there are some very cool watches on the auction house websites, as I will say, and, and they have some cool stuff. It is never going to be the best price. That's all I'm saying. You'll, you'll, you'll get a watch. It'll be in good condition. But from those um, outfits, never, ever going to be the best price. Um, and it's only going to be the best price if it's an absolute unique watch where there's no other price. So it's the best price because there's no other price. And look, if you are a top-end collector, and again, as Sean said, you don't care about money, and you want the absolute rarest or most hyped stuff go there. But you're not going to get the best watches <laughs> um, because they're available other places as well. You're not going to get the most satisfaction as a collector. And you're definitely not going to get the most value as we've established. So, you know, we we go from auctions as being promoted as a place to get discount things in some context, I don't know, maybe real estate or something like that. But in the scheme of watches, watch auctions are very rarely the place to get the best price, if anything, because the premiums uh, within the auction, add a price on top of it that is probably more than the the best other um, internet price. So anyway, so that has been our show about how to buy watches online. Um, there's many other flavors. There's many other things we couldn't cover, but this is the basics that we could do in just over an hour. 
Sean, thank you for joining me for the first time uh, doing an episode. Well, thank you for having me here, Ariel. It's uh, it's been a great time uh, getting to know you and getting to know your opinions on uh, on buying online and hopefully helping our audience learn a little bit more about what can be a very scary process. Buy watches online, educate yourself, have no fear, ask questions when you need to, and we'll see you next time. Bye, everyone.